Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I want to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. And I also want to thank you for partnering with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. There's always something new and exciting happening here at Ren, so please follow us on social media. You can find us by searching Renaissance Decatur. And you can also connect with us by visiting our website, rendecatur.org. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. We are so glad that you're here and thankful that you've joined us. There are, there are sometimes during the worship part of our gathering, I'll stand in the back and I'll look around the room and I'll, and I'll see people having a moment with Jesus. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And maybe you've had this yourself where, where worship music is playing and your eyes are closed and tears are rolling down your face. And, and if there's anything that gives me a moment with Jesus like that, it's seeing it happen for other people. And, and I was looking around and seeing that and wondering, is, is this because of the words in the song? Or maybe God's just really doing something cool in the lives of these people. And, and I began to be overwhelmed as I saw their eyes closed and tears rolling down some of your faces until I realized it's just because there's so much dust in the air that your eyes are closed. <laughs> and tears are rolling down your faces. You're not having a moment with Jesus, you're trying to protect yourself. This place is messy right now and dusty because it's under construction. Have you noticed all of that? I, I, I just wanna say this, if, if you go into the bathroom and it seems a little messy, from Monday through Friday, those are contractor porta potties, okay? God bless the people who clean the bathrooms here. And, and, and it's a little messy here because everything is under construction. We're, we're trying to make more room for more people to hear about the truth and love of Jesus. And soon we'll be in our new space in the annex next door on the third floor. Yeah, where there will be 500 seats so we no longer feel so uncomfortable for a short period of time. But in the meantime, it's really messy around here. It's dusty, it's uncomfortable, it's a little painful sometimes. There are lines to the bathroom. It's all difficult and troubling some Sundays and it's all because our church is under construction. And as we look around at, at the buildings that are, that are being repaired, and, and we have seen that many of the walls have been torn down, if you were to go to the third floor next door in the annex where our new main room is soon to be, it wouldn't look like much right now. It, it looks like an empty warehouse. The coolest thing is that there's a stage up there now. So we're beginning to see some progress, but it still looks very very messy. The lights that are hanging on the ceiling are certainly not going to be the lights that will be in the room when we get up there. It's all in progress. And the cool thing about that is, as we look around and see the church under construction, it, it's not hard to, to understand and realize that this is just a physical picture of a spiritual reality that's taking place. I, I said the church is under construction and and when we say church, typically we think of the building that we're in, the, the church that we're going to go to on Sunday. That's what our culture thinks the church is. It's a building where we gather on Sunday mornings and, and sing to God and talk about Jesus. But the Bible actually tells us that the church is not a building or a structure at all. The church is, in fact, the people who are a part of it. And so when we say the church is under construction, what we're actually saying is that you and I renaissance the people who make us up we're under construction just like these buildings are 
And some of us look like we're at different phases. Some of us are still a decrepit, old, nasty-looking building that God has to come in and knock down a bunch of our walls so he can make room for new things to be built there. Some of us have just had all of our walls knocked down and life feels very messy and painful right now. We don't know what the next six months for us is gonna look like. We don't even know who we are sometimes. We just know that things are changing and some of us are further along and we, and we feel like God has really built some wonderful things up in our lives. All of us are at different phases of construction, but the truth is this, if we're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, if we're part of God's family, we are under construction. Last week, we began a Bible study in the book of 1 Corinthians. And if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll put the words up on the screens. And you can also find a Bible underneath a seat around you and turn to page 952 in that Bible. But the book of 1 Corinthians was written by a man that we call the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul had started this church some years before he wrote this letter to them. And, and he stayed with them for about a year and a half, and he watched them grow in their faith. He saw many people's lives transformed while he was there. And after he left, he began to get letters from other people saying, Paul, have you heard about the stuff that's going on in Corinth? Have you heard about the things that are happening? And then he began to get letters from the people in the church asking him questions. Paul, we're confused about what to do about this thing. Paul, some of us are angry with one another because someone wronged another person in a business transaction and they're wanting to sue each other. What should we do about that? Paul, when we gather together on Sundays, everybody brings a potluck, but it's like everybody just eats their own food and some people didn't bring anything, the college students, and they had <laughs> nothing to eat. And so some people are coming expecting a meal and they're not getting anything. Paul, what are we supposed to do about this? Because everybody acts like it's not a problem. Paul, one of the guys in our church is having an affair with his stepmom and everybody's like, that's cool, bro. Paul, what are we supposed to do about this? Something about that doesn't seem quite right. And so he writes this letter to them to correct them, to instruct them, to help them to grow, to, to put more pieces in place. God uses him as a contractor, if you will, to continue building them into the image of Jesus that God has purposed for them to be. And as we go on and, and study 1 Corinthians in the next several months, what we will see is that God is doing the very same thing for us through Paul's words. He will begin to build and repair and construct and correct and direct us. Before Paul does this, though, he, he takes a moment to stop before he launches into his tirade against them, before, before he begins to correct them, before he begins to reprove them, he stops and says, guys, I just want you to know this in verse four. I give thanks to my God always for you. For you, Corinthians, you who are hurting each other's feelings, he's gonna tell them at some point how they've hurt his feelings, and they've certainly hurt Jesus's feelings, and yet Paul says, I want you to know, I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. 
in every way. You were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is going to sustain you to the end. Jesus is going to carry you and he will show you guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why. Verse 9 says, God is faithful. All of this can be so. The fact that Paul can give thanks for them. The fact that he can say you were enriched in him. The fact that he can say you'll be guiltless before God in spite of all the craziness that they're involved in. Paul can say, I give thanks to you because God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Before we begin to study, I always like to stop and pray and ask God for help. I need his help to speak, and we need his help to hear what he wants to say to us. So would you pray with me as we ask for his help? Lord, we are so thankful that when we call on you, you do help us, that, that you offer instruction for us and correction for us. Lord, we are thankful that your correction is your mercy. We're thankful that what oftentimes feels like your judgment is in fact your mercy because you're diverting us from a destructive path. So Lord, I pray that as we study this today that you would speak to us, that you would show us the importance of Jesus and his faithfulness to us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Has anyone ever fed you what's called a yes sandwich? Or maybe you've fed someone else a yes sandwich. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you in management may know what I'm talking about. The idea is this, that if you have correction for someone, if you have criticism or negative remarks to give to someone, it's really nice to sandwich that criticism in between two positive comments. So if you have to tell an employee who's always late for work, maybe you go up to them and say, you know what? You have the best hair of everyone here in the office. But could you please show up on time? (laughs) By the way, I like your shoes. That's a yes sandwich. And and some leadership gurus would say that that's the best way to offer correction for someone. That's the best way to, to give someone a negative criticism is to give twice as much encouragement so that they will feel encouraged. I'm not like that at all. If you have something bad to say to me, please just tell me the bad thing and don't ruin the encouragement with the bad thing. I just want you to tell me like it is. Well, Paul is kinder than I can be and he says, I'm gonna give you some encouragement first. I'm I'm going to tell you that I'm so thankful for you in spite of how much of a mess you are. He knows what's going on in the Corinthian church. He knows about their troubles. He knows about their ills. He knows that there's a lot of dust everywhere. And yet he says, listen, guys, even though I know what's going on, I'm so thankful for you. There are some people in our lives that it's real easy for us to be thankful for because they're nice to us. They're good to us. They're kind to us. They've never wronged us. And sometimes they've even uh, given us gifts. And sometimes they give us encouraging words. Those are the people we look around at and we're like, man, I'm so thankful for you. What about the people that 
It's not easy to be thankful for. You're thinking of them all right now, aren't you? (laughs) My grandma used to say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I've always had a hard time believing that garbage. And God's really trying to, to, to change my, my heart in that. He's, he's doing a work. I'm under construction, okay? But, but I've always had a hard time with that. But Paul here, he says, listen, no, 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 no. I, I, see, I see the mess that you've made of your life. I, I see that you guys are not finished yet. But I also know who our God is. He is faithful. And, and the thing that he's begun to do in you, he's going to complete it. it. He didn't bring you into his family just to let you wither away and die. He didn't bring this family together just so you could rip each other's heads off. God has a purpose and a plan for his church. And even in the midst of our quarrels and struggles and fighting and, dare I say, sin, we can still give thanks to him because of the grace that he gives to us. The graciousness that he pours out to us in in the midst of all of our difficulties and imperfections and struggles and trials. In spite of the fact that it's really messy, we can give thanks to God. We can look around this building and we can feel very uncomfortable at how messy it is. We can We can sigh over over mopping the floor twice a week, every week, because it's always a mess. We can feel upset about having to sit really close to a stranger once again. Some of you are even sitting on the stairs by the front door. God bless you for that. It's very uncomfortable right now, but none of us would say we're not thankful for what God is doing in the midst of all of it. In fact, that's what everyone keeps saying. We look at the mess that's all around and and no one says, oh my gosh, this place is such a mess. I'm tired of it. Maybe someone says that, but, but for the most part, you know what we hear? Wow, God's really doing something here. God's really at work. And if this is a physical picture of a spiritual reality, isn't it true that if I'm a mess and I know that he's faithful to finish everything that he begins, I can say, even though I'm, a mess. Even though things aren't right, God's really doing something here. The, the dust, the, the mess is just uh, the, the overflow of God's work in my life. It feels very confusing and hard and painful and uncomfortable right now for some of us, but it's just evidence that he's there. And we can give thanks to him for that. Even while we're waiting to become perfected, even while we're waiting to be made complete whatever that picture of completion we have in our minds we can be thankful and paul says this in verse five i'm thankful for the grace of god that was given to you and i've seen that in every way you were enriched in him in all your speech and in all your knowledge i've heard the way that you guys have spoken to each other. And it is so life-giving. You enrich one another with your speech towards each other. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that you walked away from and you said, wow, that was so powerful. That was so helpful. That was so enriching and encouraging. I used to sell real estate and I got a call one day from a man who wanted to see a listing I had in a small town outside of Decatur. And we set up the appointment and I met him there. I got there early and he was 
already there. I'm like, this is already a good sign. So we go in and he's looking around and he seems to know what he's doing. He's like, well, I can change these outlets around here. He looks in the kitchen. These aren't GFI outlets. We'll probably have to change those. I'm like, this guy knows his stuff. And he's beginning to dream about the things he would do in the house. We go outside and he's like, we can make this garage twice as big. There's enough room on the lot here. And I'm like, inside, I'm like, yeah, well, I haven't even sold him this house. He's sold himself the house. He turns to me and he says, I got to be honest with you. My, my daughter's moving into town. I just live right across the street. This house isn't going to be mine. It's, I would buy it for my daughter. And I'm like, okay, well, this changes things a little bit. He goes, but I want this house and I've got cash. And I'm like, cha-ching. I'm already counting the money in my bank. I'm like, this is wonderful. This is an enriching conversation. <laughs> and then he turns to me and he says, life is about to get so much better for me. And I'm like, yeah, that's wonderful. Your daughter's coming home. And he goes, no, 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 no. Life is about to get so much better for all of us, my friend. And anytime someone you don't know says, my friend, you know that something strange is about to happen. He says, life is about to get better for all of us, my friend. And here's why. You see, there's a planet on the other side of the sun. I know. <laughs> and when it passes by the earth, all of us who know about it, our lives are going to change. And we're going to have all the money in our bank accounts that we need. And everything's going to be perfect for us. And everybody who doesn't know about that planet is going to be transported to that planet. And it will be as though nothing ever changed and they'll never see us again. And it's in that moment I realized this is not an enriching conversation. <laughs> Although I never saw him again. Oh. <laughs> oh. But sometimes you have a conversation with someone and it is so helpful and so encouraging and gives you so much hope. And Paul, knowing what was going on in the church at Corinth now, that now they're gossiping about each other. Now, now they're slandering one another. Now they're beginning to, to withdraw into factions. Some of them are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Some of them are saying, I'm a follower of Peter. Some people in the back of the room are like, we're better than all of y'all. We only follow Jesus. And Paul is like, listen, guys, I remember when your conversations with each other used to be so enriching. And I'm so thankful for that. You see, before Paul starts in on correcting them, he stops to point out the good things about them that he's thankful for. What if the next time we had to confront someone about something, we stopped and thanked God for them first? We stopped and thanked him for all of the good things about them. Now, some people have no good things about them. <laughs> Don't look around the room. <laughs> but at the very least, we can give thanks for the grace of God that can change anyone's life. What if we had Paul's mindset? This has to be fixed. This has to be corrected. We cannot let it go. We have to confront this. But before I'm going to do it, before I rush into the room, guns blazing, I'm just going to stop and pause and say, Lord, thank you so much for this person. Thank you for his friendship. Thank you for her wisdom. Thank you for their nice shoes. Whatever you have to find. What if we did that the next time we had to confront something? Wouldn't that change the way we spoke to them? Wouldn't that make the conversation so much more 
enriching if we chose to do what Paul did? He says in verse 6, the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you. He's like, I remember you, you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, and the testimony about Christ was confirmed about you. What he's saying is, I was there when you believed what I told you about Jesus. I was there when you started following him. I was there when you said yes to him. I saw the change in your life take place. I saw how you laid aside your old thought patterns. I saw how you began to consider how is God perceiving the world around me? How does God perceive others around me? Paul says, I was there and I watched him change you. I saw it with my own eyes. He goes back to remind them that, that though they've drifted at this point, Paul can still see their potential because he knows that God started something good in them. Sometimes we just need someone to come along and see the potential in us, to see the better things in us. Sometimes we need someone to come along and say, I know you can be good. And isn't that so encouraging? We want to be that kind of church, don't we? Where we see the good in others, where we see the potential and the better things in other people, where we see that God's grace can make a difference in everyone's life. God can do anything for anyone, and we want to be the kind of people who believe that and then treat other people as though we believe it. Everything changes about the way we interact with each other when we gain God's perspective for each other. When we truly begin to see one another through the eyes of Jesus, when we truly begin to see each other the way he sees us, it changes the way we interact with each other. We can stand back and look at our own imperfections, at our own failures, at our own shortcomings, and we can feel very dejected and sad about them. We can look at the failures and shortcomings of others around us and feel very dejected and sad about them. But when God looks at us, the Bible tells us that he sees us as complete in Christ. He sees the finished project. He's got the 3D model in mind of the newly constructed space. He knows exactly what it's going to look like when he's finished. He knows our potential and he sees us as though we're as perfect and complete in Jesus in spite of our imperfections and incompleteness. If we're able to, to step outside of our, our earthly human perspective and consider how does God view this person? How does God view me? What does God think of when he sees me? That changes everything. This is what Paul is doing here. He's redirecting the train of thought that the Corinthians had somewhere along the line. They must have taken their gaze off of Jesus. They stopped looking at him. They stopped following him. Ten times in the first ten verses of this book, Paul mentions the name of Jesus. It's the only time he does that. He just throws the name of Jesus in. It's like it's every other word. It's like he's trying to get it to sink in. Guys, you've got to know what Jesus thinks about you. You've got to return to Jesus. You've got to start 
following Jesus again. This is what Paul says. He's redirecting them. If they've gone off track, it's simply because they're no longer following Jesus. If we go off track, it's simply because something has distracted us. We're not following Jesus anymore. And it is simple to just turn back to him. That's all he asks for us. Just He says, look at me again. Follow, follow me. Come where I'm going, Jesus would say to us. Paul says, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. I saw that you guys were changed. I saw that God had done a work. But at this point, something had changed about them. At this point, some of them had begun to drift back. Some of them had begun to fall away. And this happens all the time. There are people who, who used to be heavily involved in the church here who are not here anymore. And we pray that they are at another church. We pray that they are somewhere where they're serving God and they're, and they're, and they're giving their life to Him. They're following Jesus. But it's true that some are not. Some have given up. Some have walked away. Many in the church in Corinth were probably in danger of doing this very thing. And Paul reminds them, guys, I was there when I saw you give your life to Jesus. Some of us are in a place where we're wondering, am I even a Christian at all? Do I even follow Jesus? Does he even love me? Some of us have done things that make us wonder where our faithfulness with him stands. And I think the Holy Spirit would want to remind all of us today of that moment where we first said yes to Jesus. I think he would want to redirect each one of us today to turn our eyes back to him and say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you because you know the best way. You know where I need to go. You are the one who can truly rebuild my life. Verse 7, he says, you are not lacking in any gift. He encourages them further, reminding them that, that they are some of the most energetic and enthusiastic Christians he's ever met. They are so concerned about being used by God's Holy Spirit that they're willing to, to allow almost any kind of ministry to take place within the walls of their church. Paul devotes three chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians to this idea of God giving people specific gifts to help encourage one another and build each other up. And it seems as though somewhere along the line, they became much more concerned with the gifts that they have been given than they were with the one who gave the gifts to them in the first place. And there's a moment where Jesus was teaching in his famous Sermon on the Mount. It's almost at the end. This was his closer. He says to them, some of you will stand before me one day and you'll bring along with you all of the wonderful things that you did. And you'll say, Lord, didn't we do wonderful miracles in your name? Didn't we perform great things for you? Didn't I read my Bible every day? Didn't I pray harder than anyone else? Lord, I've got a church attendance record that's better than anyone. And Jesus says, I'll look at you and say, get away from me. I never even knew you. Sometimes there comes a point where we become much more concerned with what we can do for God than we care about actually just loving him for who he is. 
And we make it all about ourselves. And, and it doesn't even anymore become a, a burden for us to do work for him because we'll get praise. We'll get applause for it. And it's no longer about serving others. It's all for the sake of, I want people to see just how wonderful I can be. Somewhere along the line, the Corinthians forgot that it was all about just loving and following Jesus. If we love and follow Jesus, all of these other things will fall into place. But they made all that they were about, about working for him so that they could put on a, a raucous display. He says, you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to sustain you to the end. Jesus Christ will sustain you. If there's any hope I have in life, it's this, that Jesus is going to sustain me. And here's what he says about that sustaining work of Jesus, that when he does that, he's able to present us before God guiltless guiltless, as though we'd never sinned. Now, how is this so? Because some of us, we know, are real guilty. Some of us look within and, and we feel our guilt in, in very tangible ways. So some of us are so acquainted with our guilt that it's though we're carrying around this heavy backpack full of rocks that just have the name of all of our bad choices written on it. And we can't even lift up our heads because we're so burdened by our guilt. Some of us don't feel guilty about anything. Some of us don't consider that we actually need God to look at us and call us guiltless. Some of us aren't concerned with whether or not the way God sees us is pure and complete because we're so concerned with doing a wonderful work for him. Paul says, when, when my Father in heaven looks at us, he sees us guiltless because of what Jesus, the sinless, the innocent, the guiltless one did for us. Jesus willingly took upon himself all of our sins and he laid his life down on a cross, the perfect one for all of us imperfect people. And because of that, when we place our faith in him, the truly guiltless one, it's as though we are guiltless. This is, this is true for all of us who believe in Jesus, that God sees us as though we have no sin. He sees us as though we're perfect. He sees us as though we're complete. We're just as good as Jesus is. But it's also true that, that God wants to take the actual guilty things in our lives and he wants to reform us. He wants to change us. He wants to grow us. He wants to construct us into actually looking like his son, Jesus. And so along the way, as we go through life, he begins to change things about the way we interact with others. He begins to change things about the way we think about ourselves. He begins to change things about the things that we do so that one day we stand before him. We can look back and say, there was a time where I felt guilty about everything. But over time, Jesus began to change me. And there was a point where I didn't have to walk around with so much guilt because he'd set me free. Not only does he 
want us to know that he sees us as guiltless. He wants us to stop doing the things that make us feel so guilty because that just drags us and weighs us down. If anyone understood what this meant, if anyone understood what it meant to become guiltless before God, it was this man, the Apostle Paul. Because he, before he became a Christian, made it his life's mission to murder Christians. Jesus accosts him one day and knocks him off of his horse and, and tells him to begin to following him, and he changes his life. Paul goes from a man who, who one day was giving all of his life to killing Christians to the next day giving all of his life to make everyone else in the world a Christian. Only Jesus can do something like that. And Paul knows that that's who God is. Paul understands that he can sustain us. He can carry us while we're in the midst of our mess, while we're in the midst of our struggle, while we're in the midst of construction. He's doing a wonderful and beautiful work for us. And one day we're going to look like Jesus. Paul understands this. And here's why he understands this. Verse 9, he reminds them, God is faithful. God is faithful. This is why he can give thanks to them, for them, because God is faithful. This is why he can remind them that they'd been enriched by Jesus, because God is faithful. This is why he could say, I remember when you gave your lives to him, because God is faithful. This is why he can say, you will be guiltless one day. You, you will one day see yourself as God sees you. Why? Because you're so good and capable? No. It's because God is faithful. See, the Corinthians had gotten themselves into a mess because somewhere along the way, they'd taken their eyes off of following Jesus. And they'd begun to rely on their own strength, their own energy, their own gifts, their own skills, and they'd forgotten that all of life is about leaning on the faithfulness of God. If God's going to complete his work in us, if, if we're going to, to become a people who look more like Jesus over time, it will have nothing to do with how great we are. We'll have nothing to do with how capable we are. We'll have nothing to do with the effort we put into it. It has everything to do with God's faithfulness. Not one of us will stand before him one day and say, look at all the wonderful things I've done. We'll all stand before him and say, those of us who know what he's done for us will stand before him and we'll say, thank you, Lord, for your grace and your faithfulness that carried me. He's the faithful one in this relationship. He's the one that's holding on. We're the ones that are always drifting away. If we were to look closely at our own lives, we could all say, we're probably a lot more like the Corinthians than we'd care to admit. The Apostle Paul was able to come to them and, and express so much gratitude for them because at one point in the Bible, he says this, I am the least of all the Christians. I'm the worst one there is. He had this mindset where he understood we all begin at the same place of helplessness before God. We're all in need of the faithfulness of Jesus. 
He says, God is faithful and he's called you into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is bringing people together every day to be a part of this family that he calls his church. And in doing that, in continuing to construct it and build it and put the pieces into place and continuing to, to build the lives of each one of us who are part of this family, he's doing so with an end goal in mind so that we look more and more like his son, Jesus. He's called us to participate together in his construction activity of making us more like his son, Jesus. Some of us have an idea of the church that, that when we come to it, we come to be a part of it, it's going to be something that is going to meet all of our needs and take care of every part of our life, and it's going to feed us in every way, and it's going to sustain us in every way, and that is a role that the church can play. But if that is the only role the church plays that we have in mind, we will quickly become disappointed because being called into the fellowship, the family of Jesus means that each one of us make it our concern to look after one another. We take responsibility for each other. We care for each other. We look for ways that we can help each other continue to grow. And when selfishness gets in the way, we begin to wither and die like the Corinthian church was doing. And God, in his grace and faithfulness and mercy, will come to us and say, we've got to get back on track. You've got to start following my son again. As we move forward into these next several months of studying the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to be challenged in many ways. We're going to be confronted. We're going to have some negative things that we'll have to deal with, but we must always go back to this, that, that there is always something to be thankful for while we're waiting to be made perfect. And that God always sees us as though we're already perfect. And when we understand that, we just got to line up our thinking with his and everything else comes into place. The band's going to return in a few moments. And when they do, um, we're going to begin singing again. We're going to sing songs of worship to God. And during this time, I always like to stop and think about what was said in the sermon. And for me, it's usually the, the last few things that were mentioned. But for some of you, it will be something that was mentioned in the beginning or in the middle. Some of you, the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you about things that haven't been even mentioned at all today. He, he's going to look into each one of us. And, and all we simply have to do is to be willing to accept the work that he wants to do. How is he constructing me is the question we should ask. What is he doing to build me? And as we do that, we just rely on his faithfulness to complete what we know he wants to do. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that our betterment, our maturity, our growth, our construction, has nothing to do with us, has nothing to do with our skills or lack thereof. It has nothing to do with our faithfulness. It has nothing to do with how, 
how good we've been or how bad we've been, Lord, it is all dependent on you. You are faithful. And for that, Lord, we are so thankful. We, we don't know what we would do other than lose it. We don't know what we'd do without your faithfulness, Lord. So I pray as we, as we consider that today, as we consider how faithful you are to us, that, that you would help us to truly believe it. Help us to trust in you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, please go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves him.